Salve and salutations. My name is Charles Chestnut. This is Storied History. And this story is not about history. Well, it is. It's about my history. I'm cheating on this one. I am currently working on other projects, but as a placeholder, this is the next episode. These are six stories from the Appalachian Trail. Six of my stories. Six of the best ones. The Appalachian Trail is a footpath, it's a hiking path, that runs 2,194 miles from the state of Georgia in the south to the state of Maine in the north. It takes about six months, it is the adventure of a lifetime, and I've done it twice. Once in 2005 and again in 2019. I would like to do it again, and probably will when I turn 50 or 55 or so, uh, but we'll see if my knees hold up then. So these are six of the best stories that I have. All of these I was involved in, in some way. Uh, these are not things that I have heard about or read about. These are all things that happened to me, or in one case, happened in front of me. It didn't happen to me. And they're all true. These are not exaggerations. They're polished in order to make them good stories. But this is all real. These are not stories that happened to other people or something that I heard about or read about, these are all my own. So just to get started, this first story is about a guy named Scrubs. Now, everyone out there, everyone hiking has a trail name. It's a name you go by when you are doing the AT or around the AT community. My trail name is Disney because on the second day of my hike in 2005, I walked into camp singing a Disney song. Oodalali, uh, oodalali, golly, what a day. A few high school kids heard that, they thought it was hysterically funny, and they gave me that name. I leaned into it. I love it. There are literally hundreds and maybe thousands of people that I know that know me as Disney instead of Charles. In 2005, I met a guy named Scrubs. That was his name because he was wearing scrubs, like from a hospital. The important part of this is that we didn't know him. Everyone moving in the same direction knows each other. When you're going from Georgia to Maine you're going northbound, you get to know all the people that are hiking around you. You run into them frequently. You may form little groups, sp split up. You may see some of them only once a week or so, but you really get to know the people that are hiking around you. Uh, unless someone is going the other direction, because if you're going south, then no one knows him. And Scrubs was going south. So on this particular day, we were in the Blue Ridge Mountains, uh, there's a highway that goes through the Blue Ridge Mountains called the Blue Ridge Parkway. And the rangers were driving up and down with a loudspeaker, uh, telling, telling everyone, warning everyone, all the hikers, to seek shelter, seek shelter. There's a terrible storm coming. Everyone seeks shelters. This is before smartphones. We didn't really have any smartphones back then, and we really didn't have any real connectivity or data back then, so you can't tell what the weather is going to be like with any degree of accuracy. Uh, obviously, you can now, but back then, it was just different. Everyone just kind of rolled with it and dealt with what came. So we were told to get to the shelter, so we did. Uh, instead of going to the next shelter, the next place to sleep, we went ahead and stopped, my, myself and the, the two guys I was hiking with. And we stopped at that place, and we just sat up there. A shelter is three walls, a roof, and a floor. It is open in one wall and, or almost always open in one wall, and it faces out 
and it is room enough for about eight or ten people, maybe twelve, to sleep. Uh, really, depending on how much you want to squeeze in. So we set up camp, and over the course of the next few hours throughout the afternoon, more and more people uh, were coming in. These are people that otherwise would have pitched a tent and or maybe pitched a, put a hammock up between two trees and slept. But because of the warning from the rangers, uh, everyone went ahead and crowded in. When they do crowd in in these in these scenarios, everyone your your personal space gets very small. Uh, it may be literally just the width of your bedroll, so about shoulder width, uh, because everyone is going to try to squeeze in and fit as much people in there because you don't want the uh, don't want to force someone to be outside in the rain if it's going to be very very dangerous. When this happens, everyone really goes out of their way to be very nice and polite and accommodating to all of the other hikers. Because if an argument happens or you know a fight, it can get really ugly really quickly in such small quarters. So everyone is being very pleasant to each other and everyone's being very, very accommodating to one another. And we all knew each other, except for this one guy, Scrubs. Scrubs is hiking south. No one has met him before. So the rain begins and then it gets worse and then it gets worse. And this is really a very bad storm. And a little after the rain started... Scrubs stood up in front of the shelter, kind of under the awning at the front where there's a picnic table and room for people to, you know, eat, walk around a little bit, but not much. And he said, hey, listen, uh, everybody, uh, can I get your attention? And we all just looked over him. Look, I know you don't know me, but I made myself a promise that I would practice my instrument every day while I was out here. And everyone just stares at him and just kind of says, okay. And then he pulled out a pair of bagpipes. And there's just shocked silence. I mean, is he actually going to do this? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, he was. He inflated the bagpipes and blew into them. And it was a squeal, a scream like seven dying cats. It was one of the worst noises I have ever heard. It goes on for about five seconds and everyone is just like, oh, God. I can't, oh, no. Uh, after about five seconds, he stops and he looks up and he grins at about a do- dozen people, dozen strangers to him. And he said, I'm just kidding. I know what I'm doing. And then he sat down on top of a, the picnic table under the awning and he played an absolute masterpiece. I have never experienced music like this in my life. I don't think I ever will again. He was so good that he was playing in tune with the storm. When the wind was raging, he was playing powerful. When it was kind of slow and there was the wind blowing in the background, the songs became plaintive and mournful. It sounded like the rain itself was his metronome. He was even at one point, I swear, he was timing the crescendos with the lightning. The lightning would flash, and a few seconds later, the thunder. And right as the thunder crashed, it was as if he had prepared the crescendo for that exact moment. It was incredible. The only song I remember that he played was was called A Flame of Wrath for Squinting Patrick, which is about a uh, murdered Scotsman and the bonfire at his funeral. Anyway, for 45 minutes, maybe half an hour, 
Every single person, every single one of us in the shelter sat in total rapt silence and just listened to an absolute virtuoso, a true master, play his music with the storm. When it was all over, we clapped, we thanked him. Uh, he, we begged him to keep going, but no, he said, no, just, just a little bit. Uh, then he pulled out a cribbage board and played a game or two with some people. We went to sleep. Uh, the storm stopped at some point in the night. And the next morning, I got up. I went north with all my friends. He went south. And I never saw him again. Never forgot him, though. Somewhere I have a picture of Scrubs sitting on the picnic table playing bagpipes. I may try to try to pull that down. I don't know where it would be, but I'll try to find it. All right, second story, The Haunted House. Now, this is also, I'm going to remind you, this happened to me. None of this is an exaggeration. All of this happened in the way that I'm going to describe it. This was in a tiny little town in Virginia. I had spent two or three days in this little town, a town that is so small it doesn't have any stoplights. There are a few stop signs, no stoplights. I had made friends at the pub, at the little bar, and there was this local reprobate named Mitch. Uh, Mitch had access to moonshine, which for you non-Americans is illegal distilled liquor. Usually very, very strong. I enjoyed that little town so much that I was going to go out. I was going to get a ride about 30 miles away, hike back to the town, uh, spend another day or two there, and then get another ride out to the place I had been dropped off before and keep going north. Mitch uh, was the one that uh, offered to give me a ride. So he drives me to the top of this mountain. And as we're getting up there, the weather starts to get bad. Uh, this is not my part of the world. I'm not really totally familiar with the weather. And again, this is before smartphones, so we really didn't know. So he said, listen, the weather may turn really ugly really quickly, especially up here in the high mountains. So if it does, let me tell you where you can stay. Don't try to make it to the next shelter. There is a place called the Government House. The government house is a an abandoned house that was once owned, or maybe still is, we don't know, owned by the Forest Service. It is right next to the Appalachian Trail. You cannot miss it. It's 10 feet away. Uh, it's about seven or eight miles from here, and it is almost certainly empty. If you get there, the front door will be locked, but the back door is open. And when people get jammed up, when they need a place to stay... Uh, when the weather's bad in this part of the world, uh, sometimes people end up sleeping in this house. It's completely fine. You'll be okay. Uh, I said, okay, thank you. And he drives off. And sure enough, the weather got very bad. And there was the government house right about the time that the weather was starting to get bad. Uh, exactly the way Mitch said it. Uh, the fr front door's locked. So I just went around the back and opened the back door and walked in. And there was nobody in there. It's totally empty. This is a pretty small house. There's a kitchen with a room right next to the kitchen that is obviously a small dining area. Uh, in the front of the kitchen, there was a living room, uh, small. Uh, there is definitely the biggest room in the house. There's two bedrooms and a bathroom. And the bathroom has a broken toilet. Uh, I walk all the way through the house. It was interesting. You'd think there would have been dirt everywhere, but not really. It looked like people had swept and kept some of it clean. But not all of it. Like there'd, you'd think there'd be trash everywhere. And there was, but people had taken the time to like sweep the trash into piles, but not taken the time to like put it in bags and take it out. 
Most of the windows were broken, but none of them were broken all the way through. They were all double-paned, and it was either the outer pane or the inner pane that was broken. In the places where it was broken all the way through, like in one spot where, I'm, where I put my bedroll, there was a uh, big piece of cardboard that had been very carefully taped to cover up the hole completely. There's a screen door in the dining area that was right next to the kitchen. It was obviously had been on the rear outer door, but had been taken off its hinges and was lying in the on the floor and with a big pile of broken glass on the screen. Uh, there is no furniture, none whatsoever. Not a chair, not a, not a table, literally nothing. So it looks weird to me, but I don't really care. The storm is very bad, and it is the house is shaking. I put my stuff down in the bedroom that had a window that faced the front, faced the road that is right in front of the house. And I waited the storm out. The storm passed after about an hour, maybe an hour and a half. It was raging, but then it's passing. There's silence and it's starting to get dark. It's dusk. It's not full dark yet. I was very comfortable at that point. I was totally fine with where I was staying. I had food. I had water that I brought and I didn't really feel like going back outside because you don't really know if another... If this is a pause in the storm or if it's gonna, there's going to be another wave or something like that. So I figured I'd just stay there for the night. It's not a big deal. After a little while, not a long time, but, you know, 20, 30 minutes, I start to hear a noise. It's like a thumping, thunking noise. Just, you know, like a knocking. But it wasn't in time with the wind. It wasn't even rhythmic. There was something very odd. It was, it was kind of chaotic. It would be rhythmic for a bit, and then the rhythm would break. Which is very strange. And it, again, was not in time with the wind. So I got, you know, need something to do. A little bored. I walk around the house looking for it, trying to find the source of this thing so I could tie it down or lock it down. And it would stop bothering me. Uh, I'm using a headlamp, which is just a strap. It's like a flashlight, but it's strapped to your forehead. So wherever you look, you're going to have light. Uh, I walk around the house looking for the source of the noise, and I can't find it. Uh, I'm on one side of the house. The noise is on the other. I walk into the bedrooms, it sounds like it's in the living room. I walk into the living room, it sounds like it's in the bedrooms. I can't find the thing. There, uh, I even stuck my head up in the attic, uh, which didn't take a lot of effort because there's just like massive holes in the, the roof of the rooms, but not the roof of the house. And you could just stick your head up there and look around. There's, there's nothing up there. There's not even a, like a, a box. It is totally empty and very dusty. No one has been up there in quite some time. So the noise stops, and I go and I sit down. And I'm sitting on my bedroll, and I'm out about five minutes later. It starts up again, and I get up, and I try to find it, and I can't find it, and sit back down. And a few, minute, a few minutes later, it starts up again. But now it's not just a thunking noise. It's like, you know, knocking on wood, and but also like knocking on metal. And so I get up, and I look for it, and I can't find it. And I go and sit down, and then it's worse. And this keeps going on, and it keeps getting worse. Every time I'm going through this house, there's nothing disturbed. The doors are all exactly the same way. There's not like any of the trash has been moved. Uh, nothing has changed. Then I, I hear broken glass, like crash, crash. So I run around. And I'm looking at all the windows, and the windows are fine. There's, I can't see any broken glass. The only broken glass was in that uh, pile in, on top of the screen door, and it is undisturbed. 
at that point, I think I, I took a uh, string out and I tied it around the, the handle of the in, the inside handle of the outer of the door leading to the outside, the only one that's unlocked. So that if it was opened, either that string would stop it or you'd have to jerk it very hard and it would break. Uh, just trying to, you know, come up with something. So I run around and things are starting to get bad. I hear a footstep, not footsteps, a footsteps. Now these are all bare wooden floors. There's no carpeting, there's no rugs, nothing, just bare wooden floors. So I see hear a footstep just outside the room that I'm in. I jump and I look into the hallway. There's nobody there. There's nothing there. Uh, I hear a skittering noise. It doesn't sound like a mouse. It sounds like uh, a lion. If a lion was was crossing, you know, scratching on uh, uh, bare wood, incredibly loud. Definitely not a small animal. Not a raccoon. Not a mouse. Like I know what those sound like. This is not that. It's a hundred times louder. I hear something that sounds like someone takes the tip of a metal pole or maybe a metal ball and just drags it across a bare wooden floor. Just a. Every time I would get up and look around, there's no differences. There's no changes. Then I hear what has only be described as, as if someone has taken a wooden crate filled with cast iron and tin cans and glass and held it five feet up off the ground and just dropped it. When that happened, the entire floor of the house shook. I jumped up, I ran around, and I can't find anything. There's no... There's nothing even in that house that even could have been the source of that noise. And so I sit down after that giant crash, and then all hell breaks loose. It's just bam, 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 crash, 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 boom, 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 boom. The entire floor is shaking. The walls are shaking. I jump up and I scream out into that empty house. I am leaving right now. Instant silence. Instant silence. Everything stopped. I got my stuff together and I ran out of that house. I did not take the time to pack anything. I didn't roll up my bedroll. I didn't roll up my sleeping bag. I grabbed what I could carry and stuffed it into my backpack. And if it was too big to fit into my backpack, I just carried it under my arms. I didn't even take the time to put my backpack on. I literally just ran out of that house. I, I didn't even have my, my, uh, my hiking boots on. I, or I put them on, but I, I didn't even have them tied. I run out of that house. And about 10, 20 feet away is the property line. I, I, I leave the fence. I, I go up this little hill, maybe 20, 30 feet. And I turn around and I look down at this house and it is completely still. It is totally silent. There are no lights whatsoever and no noises at all. This is about 10 p.m. The sky is completely cleared up. There's a bright moon. So I can now see the house from the outside and it is silent and it is empty. Uh, I dropped my stuff. I packed it all. I rolled up the sleeping bag, rolled up the bedroll, you know, tied up my hiking boots. I put everything away the way it's supposed to be. It's all sealed up. And then I go back down to that house because I want to see it. Uh, I walk around the entire thing and I look in every single window. And I'm telling you that not a single thing was disturbed. 
It was exactly the way it was when I had run out of the house. I had been looking at these rooms intently for the last two or three hours, and there's no difference. Nothing has changed. I walked all the way around the house. I did not go back in. Nothing would have convinced me to go back in. Absolutely nothing. I didn't even like stick my head in the doorway or something. I go back up the hill, I grab my bag, and I stand there looking down at this house, seeing if there was, you know, like a flicker of light or, or anything. Because when it's really dark, if you have just a, even a, like a someone lights up a cigarette, you can see it clearly uh, and nothing. It was just totally empty. So I kept on going uh, a few miles away, about two hours or so. It's around midnight and I get to the next shelter. There's no one there. I put my stuff down and I went to sleep, got the next morning and hoofed it into the little town of Virginia. I uh, walked into that little bar and I sat down, I had a beer and as I'm drinking it, I turned to the locals, who some of them kind of live in that bar, you know how that goes. And I said, guys, have I got a story for you. And I told them that story in just the same way, exactly the same way that I've just told you. And they were a good audience. They, they listened to everything. They were enraptured. One of the guys sitting at the end, who I later found out is um, was also a hiker, uh, sort of, named Lone Wolf. And Lone Wolf uh, actually said, uh, hey, hiker. Uh, I said, yeah. He said, let me ask you two questions. I said, okay. He said, when you were up in that little house, did you see a blue pickup truck? And I said, yeah. I saw it twice. He said, okay, second question, did they see you? I said, yeah, uh, they did once. He said, okay, what happened? I said, well, after the storm, I heard a car drive by, and then they pulled into the driveway, the gravel driveway of the house, so I stood up, uh, but they were just using it to turn around. Uh, but they saw me in the, in the window, I'm pretty sure. And then the second time, I heard a car driving by real slow. Um, you could tell it was driving slow. And so and it just, I was in, a, it was feeling weird. So instead of standing up, I, there was a hole in the little cardboard. So I stuck my eye up to that hole and it was the same blue pickup truck. And there's two guys in it. And they're both staring at the house as they're driving by. And he said, all right. And that was a little bit before the noises started. I said, yeah, actually, yeah, maybe 20 minutes or so, maybe ha half hour, I don't know. He nods his head and he said, yeah, there's a basement to that house. You can't tell because the entrance is behind some of those old bushes that are real thick. Uh, but those two assholes have a meth lab in that basement. And they were just looking to cook up some more of that poison. You are damn lucky, son that they didn't know you was just a hiker and that no one knew you were there because they may have just killed you and left your body in the woods. Now, that is a true story. That, that actually happened to me, not to anyone else, to me. Much, much later, I found out that there was a serious meth problem in that town, uh, obviously. And this one even involved the local police. The, I believe it was the chief of police was actually in on it was taking kickbacks and was protecting the dealers and the, the cookers, which is why they were able to do this so openly and never got into trouble. They were found out. He was found out. And I think all of them are in prison for, you know, 20 years or something like that. 
very ugly. So here's a much more pleasant story. Everyone's got a trail name out there. My name's Dizzy, like I said earlier. Everyone's got some interesting ones. Uh, by the way, this story is going to have uh, one or two curse words. So if um, if you don't want to hear the, you know, if you got kids present, maybe fast forward five minutes or so. So my name's Disney, as I said earlier. There was a woman from Scotland. Uh, she got her trail name because she kept on repeating her favorite phrase. Uh, she wasn't called Lassie or anything like that. She became fucksick, <laughs> which is just great. Uh, in 2019, uh, when I was hiking, I'd already done it because I'd already done it once before. This was my second trip. I had a lot of more experience. I was given a lot of deference. I was older than a bunch of the early 20-year-olds. So people would come up to me for advice or information or sometimes to settle a dispute or ask what the etiquette is. You know, you don't smoke cigarettes in a shelter, stuff like that. So one day early on, this is about two weeks or so after I started, maybe three at the absolute most. Uh, I'm at the shelter and I was going to keep going for the night. I was going to get my water, eat my dinner, and then do another five miles or so before I pitched the tent somewhere. I liked sleeping uh, in the tent. And I also really, I came to really, really enjoy night hiking uh, completely by yourself in the, in the dark. If the moon is bright, it's just, it can be really, really wonderful. So I'm at the water source and I'm filling up and there is two people there. I don't know either one of them. I have never interacted with them before, to my knowledge, as a young man, a young woman, uh, but I say young, I mean, you know, early 20s, younger than me, certainly. So we're making conversation, and I don't remember what we're talking about, probably the weather or something like that. Uh, the girl is being completely quiet. She's not saying a word. The guy leaves. He walks away, says, I'll see you later. Oh, goodbye, bye, 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 yeah. See you, man. He gets about 20, 30 yards away, maybe 40. He's gone at this point. I'm still filtering my water. And this girl turns to me and in a very, very emotional tone of voice, she says, Disney, I absolutely hate that man. And she's almost in tears. And my first thought was, uh-oh, because uh, you don't know what's the problem. I have no idea what's going on. So I just said, okay, all right, uh, just go ahead and tell me what's happened. And she says, he gave me a trail name that I hate. Now, my first reaction, honestly, was relief. Because as far as problems go, this is not a bad one. This is one that is that can be dealt with. And it's not, shall we say, a criminal problem. So I said, okay, all right, all right. If, listen, if you don't like your trail name, you don't have to keep it. There's nothing wrong with changing trail names. People do it. And she said, well, he says I can't. He says I have to to keep the name because he named me this and I have to keep it. It's, it's like a bucket list thing. Uh, you know, it's things you want to do. You want to see a bear out there. You want to see a deer. You want to feed the wild ponies from your hands and you want to have a trail name. You want to give someone a trail name. Uh, it's just, it's just a bucket list. I said, so he says, you know, she's got to keep it. And I said, well, that's ridiculous. You don't have to keep the name of someone gives you. I kept mine, but if I didn't want to, I would not have done it. So tell me this, why don't you like the trail name? She says, well, and at this point, she's not emotional anymore. She's, you know, kind of, she's calmed down. Although I didn't actually tell her to calm down, which is, by the way, don't ever do that. If someone is freaked out about something, don't say, hey, calm down. You let them, you know, let them be freaked out a little bit. You calm them down to how you are. You don't tell, you don't yell at them to calm down. So I'm, you know, calm and I'm, she's now calmed. Uh, 
And uh, she said, okay, I hate it because it's Hershey. I said, all right, what's going on there? She said, well, I come from Hershey, Pennsylvania, and I really don't like the Hershey company. They've messed over a lot of my family, and I think they're a terrible organization, and the chocolate is terrible. They can't even call it chocolate in Europe. They have to call it a chocolate-flavored product. By the way, that's true. Um, so I don't want to be called Hershey. And he said, I have to, because that was the name he gave me. And I said, well, all right, well, we're, we're just going to change your name right now. And I looked at her, and she had these interesting earrings. They were weird shapes. They were not like, oh, here's a hexagon. But no, these weird, spiky, strange-looking shapes. Uh, and uh, they were not the same. They were not identical. So I said, hey, those are really interesting earrings. What are they? And she said, oh, well, these are from my grandfather. He wanted to come hiking with me, but he can't because he's just got too old. So instead of coming with me, he carved these earrings from a piece of driftwood that he found on the shore of North Carolina. And I said, oh, that's actually really neat. How would you feel about the name Driftwood? And her face just lit up. She said, oh, that would be so great. It would be wonderful. And my grandfather would love it too. Can we do that? Can we do that? I said, sure, we can do that. It's done. I'll, I'll take you back to the shelter and we'll, I'll announce that the name has been changed and that'll be the end of it. No one's going to argue. And she said, are you sure about that? And I said, well, no, I'm not sure about that, but I'll argue back. So we go back to the shelter. I stood in front of a dozen or so people. Everyone's cooking. Uh, and I said, hey, can I get your attention here real quick? Everybody turn this way. Everybody does. And I said, hey, I would like to introduce all of you to a new hiker. This is Driftwood. Her name is not Hershey. She hates the name Hershey, and her name is Driftwood. Okay? And 11 people looked at me and said, yeah, okay. You know, a few people went, hey, Driftwood. That's it. Uh, one guy did not. That guy did not. He actually yelled out, hey, you can't do that. You can't change the trail name I already gave her. That's her trail name. She has to keep it. I said, no, she doesn't. You don't have to keep the name because if you don't want to, no one does. I mean, if I gave you the name shit stain you wouldn't have to keep it just because you didn't want to be called that and he said well that's not the same thing because there's has to be a reason for for a trail name and 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 she, everyone knows her as hershey and she's been there for a few weeks so she's got to keep it i said no this is driftwood that's what she wants to be called and as i'm arguing with her uh, or excuse me as i'm arguing with him this older lady older hiker senior citizen kind of a grandmotherly type uh, walks over and she doesn't actually touch him, but she he's sitting down and she put her finger right in his face and she said, now you just stop it, shit stain. <laughs> he was so shocked, he just shut up. He stopped talking, didn't say anything, didn't make any more objections. As far as I know, she kept the name Driftwood for the rest of the hike. And it's a good name. I stand by it. So there are bears out there. So I'm going to tell you two quick bear stories. One of them, mine in 2005, was a little bit more harrowing than the second one. So 2005, this is middle, no, this is early portion, uh, northern Georgia. I get to the shelter, and the shelter is completely full. There's no place to sleep. So I pitched a tent 30, 40 yards away. And I wake up in the middle of the night because there's a lot of commotion and yelling. Yelling, screaming, banging on pots and pans, that sort of thing. Uh, I had no idea what was going on, so I unzipped my tent, I stuck my head out, I looked down towards the shelter, and there's headlamps kind of flashing in the night, there's people yelling and screaming. I don't know what's going on. So, 
I called out to that tent. It was about 10 yards away from me. And I said, hey, do you know what's happening? And the guy says, well, a guy who I don't really know actually calls out to me. It's a bear. Shut the fuck up. So I said, okay. And I was quiet. And I kept my head out of the tent, kind of propped up on one arm. Just looking down towards the shelter, thinking, oh, this is so neat. I get to see a bear. After a few minutes of banging, I don't know how much time, the noises stop, the headlines turn off. Obviously, the bear is gone. Uh, they're looking for food is what they're looking for. That's why they're coming to the shelters. They have come to associate hikers with very high-calorie food. You know, pastas, candy, M&Ms. These are very high-calorie foods for them and for us, too. Uh, we smell like food as well. So, And they like things that don't smell like the woods. So I'm looking down this little slope and I can see moonlight. There's this like darker shadow moving among the shadows. And I thought, oh, is that the bear? Maybe it is. Oh, what is that? Is that the bear? This is so neat. And then it moves across this kind of open patch of stone. And there's moon is reflecting off the stone. You can see very clearly this black shape moving through the woods. And I was just amazed. It's like, wow, that's really a wild bear. Isn't this cool? It's coming this way. Holy shit. It's coming towards me. Oh, my. And as it's moving toward me very slowly, it's not running. It's just very slowly ambling. A lot of things started to happen in my, in my head. The first thing I thought of was oh, some advice I've been given about what to do if you run into a bear. Uh, the second thing was like what to do if you run into a bear at night and then if the day. And then I heard, thought about stories. Not the whole story, but I thought about like the story I heard about. And then it was about bears in the movies and bears on TV shows and then the Banstein bears and Yogi bears and polar bears and black bears and brown bears and Kodiaks and grizzly bears and gummy bears. And all of these things are flashing like that faster and faster and faster. It started off slow and then by the end of this little thought chain, it's just like bam, 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 bam. Every reference or memory I've ever had that was in any way connected to a bear uh, is just flashing through my head. And then one clear thought cut across all of that very, very succinctly. I am in an advanced state of terror. At which point, all of the very fast-moving thoughts in my head just stopped. They're silent in my own head, which is very rare for me, honestly. So I'm still propped up on my arm. I'm completely frozen with fear, and my brain has stopped functioning. I am just absolutely tharn, to use the term from Watership Down. So the bear gets closer and closer. It's sniffing. And this thing, by the way, smells like the worst wet dog you've ever smelled. It was rank. And as it's sniffing around my tent, I thought I could have reached out and touched it. Uh, but it also could have reached out and touched me. And if it just kind of swiped at my head, that's going to be a serious, serious problem. And I might die. And it was at that point that I remembered that because bears are attracted to things that don't smell normal that I have tiger balm, which is kind of like Ben Gay, on my legs, and I have medicated gold bond powder on my feet and a few other areas. So I don't smell normal. I smell like something interesting that might be food. So I'm still frozen with fear, not even moving even a little bit. And this bear goes around the back of my tent. So I'm facing towards the shelter, and it's behind me now. And it is brushing up against the tent, and it is sniffing and sniffing and sniffing. And as it brushes up the tent, then it goes around to the top portion. 
it runs up against some of the, the lines from the tent stakes that are holding the tent up. And as it pushes against them, it pulls out the stakes, and the lines go slack, and the tent collapses. It collapses around me, but it also collapses around the bear. And as it falls down, it at least covered his face or his head a little bit. And when it did, it scared him. And he lets out this yelp in surprise, not a growl, not a roar, just a roar, and turns around and runs into the woods fast. I got up and I put my tent back together and it wasn't even ripped. There was no nothing wrong with it. And I was just thinking, there's no way I'm going to be able to get to sleep. But what actually happened was when the adrenaline that had been coursing through my body uh, faded, I crashed and I fell back to sleep almost immediately. Slept like a baby. Maybe, probably shouldn't have, but I did. Got up the next morning and uh, kept on going. And yeah, yeah, that's that's my bear experience out there in 2005. In 2019, there was a bear coming up to a shelter in Virginia. Now, at this bear is approaching, there's a bunch of people. This is the middle of the day or late. No, it's not true. It's the late afternoon, so there's a lot of people there. But it's definitely full sunlight. It is not. There's no dusk or anything like that. Fully bright. Everyone's awake, and people kind of chase this thing away. And with us was this retired police officer named Stargazer. Stargazer was cool. And she was carrying a bear flare gun. This is just a plastic gun-shaped object. And if you pull the trigger, it fires a flare. It makes a very, very loud bang and a big flash of light. It is not lethal. It doesn't actually, it doesn't even penetrate the bear's skin or hide, rather. But it doesn't, it'll scare the hell out of it. So everyone's trying to scare the bear away, and they're they're becoming absolutely fearless. And that is a that is another conversation to be had. And it is, it's it's not they're, they're, the bear control attempts at this point are literally just not working, and they need to change the their approach. Uh, we've tried this for several years, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. And a few people are starting to get very hurt. Uh, it has to stop. We have to deal with them. So she pulls out this bear flare gun and she shoots at it. And this absolutely terrifies this bear, and it runs away. And it ran away the only way that it could, which was along the Appalachian Trail, which was, at this particular place, it's not on the edge of a cliff, but it is on the edge of an incredibly steep, steep slope. So down one side, if you fall off it, you're going to roll down quite a bit, and you're going to hit a lot of rocks and trees on the way down. You could get really hurt. So this bear goes running down the AT. Now, unbeknownst to us, while this is happening, there was a woman from Texas named Phoenix. And Phoenix was a smoker. And she's nice. She's a really wonderful, wonderfully nice person, nice lady. And she was not going to smoke her cigarettes at the shelter because that, you know, that's a little bit rude. So as she's walking up to the shelter, she sees this big old rock that was right next to the trail. And it was perfect to like sit down on it without being actually on the trail and blocking the trail. And she could have her cigarette. So Phoenix is sitting on the rock, smoking a cigarette. And a bear comes running full tilt right in front of her, like a foot, two feet away. Scared her. But, uh, you know, if she had been actually on the trail, it may have knocked her off. And she may have gone rolling down to God knows where. Uh, she laughed. And for from that point on, she would always say that cigarettes had saved her life. <laughs> uh, so just one more. Uh-huh. This is when I was in 2019. 
I was hiking in Virginia and I saw something in the trail in front of me. I wasn't sure what it was. It was small, very brown and white, looked like a pile of something. No, this is not doo-doo. Take that out of your head. So I'm walking up on this little weird looking pile of brown and white and I have no idea what this is. And it's something not normal. Doesn't look like a rock, doesn't look like a tree, doesn't look like a fallen anything. It's just this thing. And it's definitely not like man-made because there's no colors. Uh, when I'm about 20, 30, 40 feet away, I realize this is a fawn. This is a baby deer. And it is frozen. Not literally frozen. This is a warm day, summer. But it is not moving at all. Absolutely still. I was, was not even sure if it was alive. So I walked up very, very slowly, very cautiously. And I reeked down and I touched the ear. And as I do, the ear just kind of flicks just a little bit. I was like, okay, well, it's alive. And I touched the back of the head, incredibly soft. Touch its back where the shoulder blades are kind of sticking up. And it is incredibly soft fur. And it's also damp. Why is it damp? We haven't had rain in a while. Why is this tiny, tiny thing, tiny, tiny thing, lying in the middle of the trail, damp? And then I realized that this is so small this is a newborn. This is not a young baby deer. This animal was just born. And I take kind of a half step back to try to look for its mother. And as I do, it stands up under these wobbly little legs. And it can barely move correctly. But once it gets its feet or hooves underneath it, it's okay. And it's just kind of wobbling over toward me. This deer was so small, it didn't even come close to my knees. It was barely taller than the tops of my shoes. It's a, if you, you picture it, it's about halfway between your foot and your knee. That's how tall this thing was. Cutest animal I've ever seen, bar none. I took a few pictures. So I'm just amazed. And I'm looking out, and about 20, 30 yards away, there's the mother. And she's not freaking out. She's not panicking. She's not bellowing at me or charging at me. She was very quietly watching me stand very still and quietly near her baby. So I just kind of nodded my head to the mother. I was like, okay, well, this is kind of neat. I took a picture too. Uh, and I said, okay, I'm, and I actually said out loud, even though of course they can't understand. I was like, okay, I'm just going to leave you guys alone. It's been a pleasure. And I start walking away. And as I'm walking away, the little deer starts to follow me. Now, at first, this is just the cutest thing that has ever happened to me in my entire life. I took a video of it kind of walking around my legs as I'm walking, trying, I'm walking very slowly, trying not to kick it as it's like walking through my legs. And within like five or 10 minutes that I've been around it, now it's following me around, perfectly moving, not awkwardly moving, uh, trotting after me like a tiny, tiny little dog. And then I get worried because although this is neat, you can't have this. You can't have a baby deer following me on the trail. It needs its mother. And at about a mile or so away is a road. I can't bring this thing to the road. So I've got to get rid of it. And it won't stop following me. And, you know, I can't just say, hey, you can't follow me. You need to be with your mother because it's not going to understand. And you try to talk to it and use like the soothing voice. It can't understand. All it hears is the soothing voice. So that's not working. So I improvised. I squatted down on my legs. 
I lowered my face to as close to the deer's face as I could get it, and it's looking at me with these beautiful, little, black, trusting, calm eyes. I get about six inches away from it, stuck my hands up next to my head, put my thumbs in my ears, and went, Wah! It scared the hell out of the deer. Turns around, takes off running. I, I didn't get a video of that. I wish I had, but I didn't. Uh, anyway, they're not all bear stories in haunted houses. The trail is just absolutely amazing. The people are incredible. Uh, it was the adventure of a lifetime, twice, and hopefully a third time. Maybe when I turn 50. This podcast has gone on a lot longer than I thought it would be. I figured it would be 25 to 30 minutes, and we're pushing 45. So I'm going to go ahead and close this out. Um, there are other stories. I could talk about the AT and stories and people for hours. And believe me, if you know me and I had a you know a few drinks in me, I do. Uh, so I do hope you have enjoyed this one. It's not the history stories that some of you have signed up for, but I do hope you enjoyed them anyway. All of those are true. None of them are embellished. Polished maybe, but not embellished. So this has been Storied History. If you'd like what you heard, hit the subscribe button. Please do rate me five stars. It really does help a lot. And by the way, thank all of you who are listening to this for subscribing. I'm sure almost all of you are here because you heard me on the boat. And I really do appreciate it. It is very gratifying when people want to keep hearing me after they've already heard some of my other stories. So go ahead and subscribe if you haven't, and I will go to try to find the next story, this time from history, I promise.